0: Fusic. Not just a word, a movement, a mindset, and a podcast. Welcome to Fusic.
1: All right, Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to the Fusic Podcast. Hope everybody is having a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful uh, time off. And, and I am your co-host, Craig Miller, always accompanied by the one and only, Mr. TJ McGinnis. How you doing, TJ?
0: I'm doing fantastic, Craig. How are you doing, buddy? Merry Good. Christmas to you and happy late uh, Thanksgiving
1: there, bud. Absolutely, merry merry Christmas! Very excited for our guests today. Um, very excited for the Christmas holidays. Um, where, what is y'all's plans, TJ? What are y'all? What do y'all got going on?
0: Yes, we are in uh, golf Breeze with the in-laws, enjoying Christmas. Uh, Quinn is going crazy over the uh, all the gifts on the trees by the trees. She wants to unwrap them all. Uh, we're having a little family Christmas here like we do every year, uh, having a blast and uh, enjoying it. So it's going to start, festivities start about 3 o'clock today It's where it's going to be shut down until, until Christmas, buddy. How about you? It's awesome. Well, Katie and I are doing a little world traveling, I think,
1: this Christmas. We uh, got into, I got into Alabama yesterday afternoon and um, we we're going to be at my parents' today. Uh, and do our Christmas there. And then tomorrow night on Saturday, we're going to go to her parents. And then Christmas Day, we're going to leave and go back to Birmingham. And we're actually going to be talking about Fusick on the News on 26th that morning. So the Alabama Wake Up News, we're going to be talking about that. And then we head to Chicago and uh, finish out work for the week all week next week. And then Saturday after the year, we're going to New York City for New Year's and then headed to Austin for LDC. So busy, right. busy, 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 busy Yes, sir. Well, who do we have on, on today? We have the most popular uh man from West Virginia in life history. West Virginia. Blue take Ridge Mountain. Home, take me home. West Hudnel, how you doing,
0: buddy? I'm great, guys. How are you? Well, just living. The doing dream wonderful. Thing. Doing wonderful. Glad you could be on this show, buddy. Man, and it's um, a show, Craig.
2: It's not a podcast. It's a show. <laughs> oh yeah, our our, our <laughs> showing here. I'm uh, I'm excited to be on, guys. Wes, just tell us
1: a little bit about who you are, and also tell us your fusic story, man. Let's get right into it.
2: All right. Well, uh, first off, TJ, happy late birthday, man. I think I missed. Thanks, that early. buddy. So, Thanks, well. buddy. Yeah, guys. Uh, born and raised in uh, Ripley, West Virginia. Um, a graduate proud graduate of Marshall University thundering herd um, I grew up there in West Virginia with a really strong awesome family mom and dad um, they're about to celebrate their 41st wedding anniversary um, wow. so just Beautiful. had just the awesome childhood growing up man real supportive parents and um, just a, a great life and blue-collar family um, so, I, I go to Marshall University, um, and and I was on the five-and-a-half-year plan, uh, kind of nice. the, Tom, the Tommy Boy approach. Um, if There's probably other people that are listening that have went through that whole thing. Um, when I was in uh, college, though, I went to visit my aunt and uncle, and um, at the time, I felt like they owned some type of a mansion or something. They had a two-story house with a above-ground pool, and so I went and visited them a lot, you know, kind of... Growing up in middle school so when I was in high school in college actually um, I went there um, for a summer and my aunt and uncle did real estate appraisals um, and at that point I had no direction kind of what I wanted to be when I graduated or anything um, but they did real estate appraisals in Charleston South Carolina um, and the very first day that I went out with my uncle to do real estate appraisals we appraised a million dollar home in uh, Mount Pleasant South Carolina and uh, honestly, I was just kind of starstruck and um, just kind of taken aback by just um, how amazing this house was and everything. And so it's kind of at that time that I, you know, it broadened my horizons and I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to live in a place like this? And um, it's just kind of a whole new world for me. So um, that got me a little bit kind of money hungry and wanting to get out of West Virginia eventually. So That was kind of my first goal was, you know, live in some place like that um, and just have a little bit more. And that kind of went against the whole blue collar kind of growing up. Um, You know, dad was a machinist, 33 years, same company, and mom was mostly stay-at-home mom, um, did some social work. And so I had never seen anything like that. So um, ended up doing that apprenticeship for a couple summers in a row, Um, graduated from college and... A buddy of mine um, who I had played soccer with briefly in college um, gave me a call one day and said, hey, man, I'm having a going away party, I'm moving to Atlanta, all this stuff. So went to his going away party, um, just told him, hey, man, I, I'm so envious of you getting out and going to Atlanta and, and everything. And he said, well, come visit. So um, so I came and I visited him, and I stayed on his couch for a weekend. And then um, he was a good salesperson. He was he went there for a sales job, and he was a pretty good salesperson. So he said, hey, man, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. You can live here, go out get your job or whatever, find you a job here in Atlanta. So um, I, I went on two job interviews. One was business-to-business sales, um, and it was okay. The other one was um, door-to-door residential sales. And um, it was uh, maybe not the best. Position, hundred percent commission, knocking on doors, running around the ghetto and um, uh, trailer parks and some nice areas, but mostly just um, just some rough areas, inner city, um, all that stuff. Um, But in my interview process, the guy that interviewed me, kind of my first mentor, um, was about twenty four years old, business owner, just sharp, super sharp guy, had his own business there in Buckhead, and um, he took me out in the field personally and. Um, we ran around and we sold some stuff and, um, on the way back to the office, I said, man, I just can't imagine doing anything like this. You know, I, I can't imagine walking up, knocking on someone's door and, you know, just kind of being a pariah. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, he said, and I'll kind of never, I'll never forget this. Um, I use this a lot, but he said, Wes, if you want to make a lot of money, you got to do something that other people can't do or aren't willing to do. Um, and he That's said, right. That's Right. <laughs> He said, man, I can't be a professional athlete or a rocket scientist or a trial attorney, but, you know, I can sell. He said, anybody can sell if you have a great attitude, if you work hard, law of averages. Um, And that just made a whole lot of sense to me um, because at that point, I didn't really know the path to get into that big house and having that lifestyle. So I said, okay, what the heck, you know, I'll give it a month and, and see what happens. So... Uh, almost two and a half years later, uh, I'm still out there knocking on doors. Um, and, uh, you know, Heath has his book, and, and I love it. Um, if I had to name this book or the chapter in this book of my life, it would be titled Dogs and Guns. Um, because if I didn't see um, dogs or guns out in the field, then I felt like that was a pretty good day. Um, out in the field. So um, I learned a lot about myself out there running around. I mean, I was working 12, 13 hour days, six days a week. And really the idea with that company was you build a team of people. And once you build a team of people, um, then you promote out to an office and then you become a business owner. Um, And and so it was, you know, where are you going to open your office? What are you going to name it? All that good stuff. Um, And so, um, did that and um, it was just kind of brutal existence out there um, every day trying to be a better leader trying to retain people on my team but at the same time I had to sell the only way I could interview somebody to build my team was to sell and Ken kept on telling me man West, the only way you can get out of the field and get in the office is to truly get in the field immerse yourself in the field work on your skill set just get better at what you're doing um, and I was not a good salesperson I mean I was really just not very good at all Um, but you know we had one rule and I always broke it which was you weren't allowed to run across people's yards and um, if it was you know 30 minutes until I had to go back to the office to turn in applications I was running across yards I was doing anything I had to do um, to um, to get you know what we called on the bell where we could go back to the office ring a bell and we earned an interview for the next day and so you know, one thing that I always knew was that I might not be the sharpest person out there, um, the most articulate, but nobody's going to outwork me. And my dad instilled that in me at a young age. Don't ever let anybody outwork you. Um, and, you know, he, whenever I, I was in sixth grade, I think, he got me a little plaque that I hung above my, um, I guess, you know, when you leave my bedroom, the, the door there growing up, it said, be the best. And so when I would, you know, run out for school or whatever, i Slap that be the best sign. Yep, and uh, yep. it's still it's still hanging in my bedroom. Yeah. And my I, had to, I, I, had,
1: I had the same thing. Mine said average sucks.
2: There you go. So mine was <laughs> right be the best. Door. And then when I was selling door to door out there in Atlanta, I turn on my phone and my Nokia at the time would say be the best,
0: and I'd That's always awesome, think of my right? dad. I'd be
2: like, you know, I'm gonna make this happen. Well, eventually, two two and a half years into this thing, um, I ended up, you know, meeting my future wife, and she just wanted me to get, you know, I think she felt like probably time has come to turn the page on that. It just never really did materialize in what I thought it was gonna materialize into. So I started looking at some real jobs. Um, I say that, you know, with air quotes. I was looking for a real job. Um, And I interviewed with our big competitor. We all know him. Um, Within 10 minutes of putting my resume out there, they called me up, um, and I came in, and the lady, who did the interview? It was a group interview. She talked about cancer and she talked about how it affects people and um, financially and emotionally. And lost both my grandparents to cancer. Um, I immediately just thought, "Oh my gosh, I could I could use all the skills that I have. I could sell something like cancer insurance. I could impact lives." Um, and I just got really excited. And for me, you know, I was selling little little old ladies long distance. I mean, that was kind of like what I did for the previous two and a half years was long distance to little old ladies and high speed internet and all that stuff. So the voluntary benefits to me just, you know, gave me a lot of purpose. I thought that's going to be great. So um, I ended up getting that position. I jumped into it really thinking that I was going to be like amazing at it. um, And I was not amazing at it. Um, And it was the first time where even though I worked really, really hard, I wasn't getting the results that I wanted because I wasn't an expert in my field and and business owners could see that I wasn't, you know, confident. So I was a little bit surprised that I didn't just take off like a, you know, rocket when I got over there. Um, But some things happened and were going on in my personal life and, um, you know, when I was, you know, out there doing my first sales job, I didn't have to worry about that stuff. But, you know, I was newly married and um, at the time was in the middle of a pretty testy child custody battle and um, later, you know, went through some other things, adoptions and, you know, paying for a wedding and all that within the first, you know, six months of starting this new career. And um, What a change. (laughs) It was a bit of a change. It was like a real job and real life and it just all kind of slapped me in the face and knocked me down. Um, and all of a sudden my why changed from the big house to, you know, being a provider. And, um, I just don't know that I was totally ready for it at that time. Uh, Thankfully that was, you know, a a while ago. So 10 years ago, I guess. Um, but we went through our ups and downs, went through a lot of financial struggles and it wasn't the business. It was totally me. It was just my mindset. And a lot of the things I learned over those two and a half years of knocking on doors, being humbled and... All that, a lot of it, I just kind of forgot. And I sat down with my manager one day to quit. Um, that was really why I met with her was just tell her that I quit. And she told me, "Look, you know, you can't quit. You're too far in the hole now." Um, and she just said, "Look, you need to. When you got in the field, you need to put your blinders on. You need to put your game face on. You need to realize that all those personal problems are going to be there waiting for you when you get home. And if you're broke, they're just going to be worse." Um, and so I put the blinders on and, you know, just fought through it like crazy. Um, and that's the only way I can describe it, man. We just fought like hell. My wife was supportive. My family was supportive. Everyone wanted me to be successful. Maybe, I mean, I just, and I just fought. And so, um, fought through it, ended up doing a nice district over there and ended up, you know, doing really well. And, um, one of the guys who I'd worked with said, Hey, I just went and talked to Colonial Life. And. You might be really good over there. It's not for me. I'm almost vested, but you might be really good over there. And um, I I go in, I meet with um, Blake Rogers, and Blake absolutely, positively sold me on the vision of what I could build um, at Colonial Life through the DGA ADM formation. Um, And uh, I was just taken aback by him because he was such a good, honorable dude and just Honestly, just felt like he just really wanted to, me to have a better life. And um, so I took a DGA role. I stepped away from my district over there at the competitor, and it meant, you know, starting from scratch. And um, it was about that time, TJ, that I met you at new manager school. And I think you and I were both in the same place, and that we had no idea yeah. what we were in Struggles. for. Struggles. We were <laughs> just, we had no idea what was about to happen. No. Um, but for me, honestly, I didn't get off to the start that I wanted. Um, over at our competitor, Um, and I was hell-bent at Colonial that I was going to get off to a fast start. I came in more focused than I had ever been ever before, Um, and I just got after it like gangbusters, and um, it was just a beautiful thing, just loving it, getting out in the field, developing ADMs, and um, talking to them about those days and knocking on doors and talking to them about the struggles that I had at the competitor and separating business from personal and all of a sudden everything that I went through all the struggles they had meaning um mm-hmm. and so I, you know the colonial life opportunity just blossomed into something great um and then like a lot of us do especially as men um I got a little cocky quite frankly and um after you know having a district for a few years I thought man like what's what's next you know what's the next step and um, I let myself get recruited away to a competitor, which is the biggest mistake I've ever made as far as business-wise. Um, I wouldn't change it, though, because honestly, when I I knew what I had with Colonial Life, when I went to this other carrier, I realized what I would walked away from, and I was immediately regretful. Um, I had committed to that job for, you know, 12 months or whatever, so... Um, I gave that job everything I had, but as soon as that 12 months was up, I called Blake and said, Man, I'm coming home. I messed up. I, you know, I screwed up. I'm ready. I'll take another scratch district. I'll rebuild. That'll never happen again. And to Blake's credit, you know, he was really cool when I left. I mean, he announced it on a management call that I'd get promoted. Unfortunately, it was with another carrier. He was so cool to me throughout that whole thing. So I came back. I'm a DGA. I'm building again. And, um, You know, Blake approaches me about being a regional instructor, and the regional instructors are are great. I love that role, but I just felt like, oh, that doesn't seem like a logical step. You know, I eventually wanted to be a territory manager and and all that stuff, and he said, look, man, it's going to give you a year to run around, talk to successful districts, and really build and and share best practices. And, it really, man, it really helped me out. We really need to get things, you know, fundamentals back to where they need to be. So I said, well, if it'll help you, Blake, and if you feel like, you know, you believe it'll help me get to where I want to go, then I'll do it. Um, so I did it. Um, thankfully, you know, we had a great 2016 in Tennessee. Fundamentals got turned around and things were going well. And then, you know, about a year and a half into that, um, Blake calls us into his office and he says, hey, there's this opportunity in Arkansas and, you know, it's, we're all going to have to help Arkansas. And. You know, it's a good opportunity, but it's going to be more road time for you guys, and Wes, I'll need you to train the instructor over there, and and this, that, and the other. And I went home and told my wife, and she's never been willing to move. Um, I told my wife, and she said, why not you? Why why don't you run Arkansas? I said, well, I never really thought about it. Um, And things kind of snowballed, and December last year, I got this position, and um, just been loving it ever since. Man,
1: that's awesome.
2: There's so many... So many things running
1: through my mind right now. I know, man. Uh, That's exactly what I was thinking. I guess yes. I was taking more notes because that was so so relatable, wasn't it, TJ? I mean, it's, yes. it's amazing how so many stories are so similar just in different areas and different people in different ways, you know? It's just kind of like the opportunity in Arkansas just shows up because you were doing the right thing consistently, you know, and an opportunity comes comes to your you know front door, and it just... I love the thing about the you know, the thing above your door, um, you, you know, about with your dad and and you know, you're going door knocking. I know T J and I have very similar stories. I was door knocking in the wrong part of town with Liberty National. You know, yeah. and realized that that's not what I wanted to do either. I didn't last two or three years with that. You know, thankfully I got Billy Farr gave me an opportunity before then, but what what a story, man. That's that's incredible.
0: Uh Wes, Heath would always tell me and I, I th- I know there there was a lot of purpose to this, but also I think he was just telling me this to make me feel better about myself. But he would say, T J you you, you will go through more struggles, uh, both personally, financially, than most, because you will be you will impact more more people than most. You know, and, and I look back and I'm hearing your story and that's holding true for you too, and it holds true for you, Craig. Uh and it's one of the things that I we're recruiting top talent people well I'm sitting down with them and we're walking over their 90 days and I I want to I I want to tell them that look I hope that you struggle we're just up in Atlanta and I was talking to their new DGA up there and I said look you're this is this is a perfect you're on the perfect roadmap right now and you're struggling and it and it makes me and it's this is a good thing and I explained the whole process explain what we talked about But the thing that makes me nervous the most is new folks coming in and having success right away because, okay, then what happens? What happens when the wheels fall off? Because they're going to at some point. And how are you going to react to it? How are you going to handle it? And I think that the three of us have all been dirt broke, struggled, negative amounts of money in our bank account. And when you can overcome that as a person – it makes you feel like you are unstoppable. And no matter what, you're always, you always can rebuild again. And that feeling of, uh, that's a strength feeling. That's a feeling of also the ability to just overcome any adversity that comes your way. And yep. that's something that's priceless. Yeah, uh, know. Wes, you're that guy, buddy. That's and awesome. I, I love, that's agree on every point, TJ. And then Wes,
1: I love, every single one of us has a moment in our careers where, Something clicks, right? And yours was when you knew you wanted more out of life was when mm-hmm. you went and saw that house and how did the appraisal, right? I, right. This, I'm not joking. I know I've said this before on, on the podcast. I think anyway, but my first goal was like financial goal, I guess. At Colonial, was that I wanted to be able to go to Applebee's and order the steak instead of the chicken. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of a metaphor, but like I wanted to be able to go to a restaurant and order what I wanted to eat because I didn't know what that felt like, you know, and, and not have to worry about it. And that is something that, to me, I just I'm I'm working on my dad bod right now. You know, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I love to eat. <laughs> you know, and it's just one of those things to where that was such a subtle and people laugh, but it's just it's true. <clears throat> I, I I wanted to be able to go to a restaurant and just get what I wanted. You know, and it's little things like that that Colonial has provided you know, a, an opportunity for us to do. And I know it sounds silly, but it's, you know, when you really sit down and think about it, when you grow up in an extreme blue-collar family, when you grow up with great parents, but maybe not all the money in the world, and sometimes you just, you have that eager to go do more. And, and TJ, you're exactly right, that the we're going to all struggle. We all struggled a lot in a career growing up because we were impacted more lives than others, you know, and that's the goal. And I was having a talk with one of my, one of my buddies last night, and, and I was telling him, you know, you're having all this success right now individually producing and you, and you feel like it's very satisfying. But when you move into this leadership role next year, you're going to understand what true satisfaction is when you can have a small impact on somebody else having a career and you get to pass it back down to me. Yep. That's as good as it gets. And that's the only time I ever feel like I'm fulfilled is when someone on my team is promoted or when someone on my team advances in their career that's really the only time I ever feel like I did my job or, I yeah. hope, you know, did my job. That's the only time I ever feel like accomplished or fulfilled is when something like that happens.
0: And if it's not happening, then it's a reality. You recheck and you regroup and you figuring out, okay, what's going on, you know? And, and that's a part of it, Wes. You got to think of there's no secret to why you're having success right now in Arkansas and why you're, you're, you're changing that culture is because everybody that walks in the door, you have been in their shoes. You, you have, yep. you have been in their shoes, you have had their failures. You could tell everybody from, from some capacity, most capacities of what actually is going to happen and they'll still go do their own thing. But when they come back and, and just like the, the lady that sat down with you and said, you're too far invested into this West, you can't quit. That was awesome. <laughs> that, that that was awesome that she said that to you, you know? Oh my
2: gosh. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, that, life kept changing
0: you, that kept you going, man. That kept you going. That kept yeah. you going. And, and that's the beautiful part. And everybody has to have that, what they're looking for. And and I have in my wallet, I've put it in there since 2011. It's all faded. It's on a little index card. It says family. And I didn't even have a family at the time. But I had family, never have to worry about paying a bill. Because my parents were both school teachers, but we lived in a a very uh, blue-collar area. uh, And we had what we needed, but there was always frustrations over bills. And I remember that as a kid. So that, that's a goal uh, of mine, and to, and to then, at once it's happening, is to make sure everyone else who has that similar goal or a goal of that nature help them achieve that through duplication and developing themselves. So, right. Wes, uh, this has been great. You know, this is a staple question we asked, Wes. What is, uh, if you could give advice to Wes Hutnell at the age of, when Wes was 24, 25, shortly out of school, what advice would you give him?
2: <clears throat> well, I would say um, don't make excuses, you know. Don't be a victim. Um Ooh. Ken Ken, yes. my first, uh, Ken was my first mentor. Ken taught me a lot, and um, he was the one that hired me into that first sales role. Um, but when I w- whenever I would talk to Ken um, and he'd be coaching me, he'd say, look, Wes. Um, You can make excuses or you can make money, but you can't make both. (laughs) Oh, I like that. I
0: like that. You can make excuses or you can make money. But you can't make both. You can't make both.
2: And so, um, you know, when I was a DGA, we had an excuse jar. And so every time anyone made an excuse um, and anyone heard it and we policed each other, you had to go throw a dollar in the excuse jar. Um, And maybe people would just scribble on IOU because they didn't have any money or whatever. But... Um, when we would do our team nights, you know, we would have, you know, 10, 15, 20 bucks, you know, for, for a drink or whatever in our excuse jar. And then the funny thing about it was a couple of years in, I don't even know what happened to the excuse jar because people just quit making excuses. So it is, you know, that is a learned skill. And if you make excuses in your professional life, then you're bound to make excuses in your personal life. And so, yeah, that would be my advice to my younger self is don't make excuses.
0: Love. Well, that's a best practice. Uh, I'm going to uh, bring I've that up. i already texted that out. I've texted yeah. out to
1: two, to six people already. Yep, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, that's a great one, Wes. That's awesome. Well, thanks, well, Wes. Guys. Hey, I, I appreciate the, you having me on. Well, where can the millions of listeners uh, find you, buddy?
2: Um, well, I'm on Facebook and I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Twitter. I don't do too much on Twitter, but for the most part, you know, LinkedIn is. I'm I'm always happy to communicate via linkedin or or i'm willing to have a phone call with anybody if anyone can relate to what i'm going through or if they're going through something similar i'm always available shoot me a message on linkedin and and we can chat awesome awesome
1: hey guys i'm craig miller um you can find me on facebook or linkedin please go visit our page uh fusic.us send us your fusic stories at fusic.us at gmail um Thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas. Love
0: y'all. TJ, where can I find you, buddy? Facebook, Instagram, uh, on our FUSIC page as well, Craig. Uh, have, happy holidays, everybody, and, and uh, till next time. Great job, everyone. Bye-bye. FUSIC, a podcast for everyone who said I couldn't.